progression of hearing. I have a progression of hearing and that it's going away. Seems like more and more every day. But that's not the progression of hearing I'm talking about. Many years ago, matter of fact, almost 400 years ago, a book was written called Pilgrim's Progress in 1678. You may have read it. It's a pretty famous book. And it talks about this man's journey. It's a fictional uh, allegory is what it is, meaning it gives us a picture of things through story of someone moving from the city of destruction, meaning our world full of sin, our, uh, those kind of ugly, dark ways, moving to the city of celestial light. And as this pilgrim progresses, it was written by John Bunyan, as he progresses, he goes through various challenges like we do in life, faces obstacles, faces a resistance, and it's his work as he moves on to get to this city of God. And that depicts what our Christian life is like. It's a journey. It's not a one-time event. It's a progress. It's a process. And God expects us to make that journey. It's a journey of self-discovery. The discovery of Christ and becoming like Christ. In 2 Timothy 2.15, the Apostle Paul challenged Timothy to study, to show thyself approved, a workman who needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Timothy, of course, was a, uh, a young Christian that Paul had taken under his wings who he had given charge to, to start churches, to raise them up. And so Paul's encouraging Timothy here to be a student of the Word, to study, to be approved of God in his study. We also have in Hebrews chapter 5 uh, an encouragement. And verse 12 says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Again, we have this encouragement here that we are to grow in our faith. We are to become more capable. We are at a certain point should be able to the place to where we can teach others how to follow Christ. It may not be a formal teaching position, but we should be able to share our faith and to share the deep truths of our faith and to move beyond the very basics of salvation and redemption into knowing God in a deeper way. God expects us to grow deeper and deeper. The rest of that chapter goes on. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching of righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. We need to mature in the faith. A child, when it is born, 
a, a large portion of its food, all of its food at the very beginning as an infant is milk in some fashion. And that milk sustains it, but as it grows, it needs more. And we start to introduce solid food, and it, that food has more nutrients that the milk is not sufficient to provide. If we left that child only on milk, it would become weak and anemic in its physical growth. It would become stunted. We, we know that we need to progress on to uh, more solid food that can provide that body with the nutrients that it needs. And so it is as a Christian. We start out with that great, wonderful situation where the Holy Spirit speaks to us and shares with us that we have a void in our life, that there's something missing. And we come to realize we can't address the problems ourselves and it's beyond ourselves. And mankind through the ages has had a sense of something greater than himself. And the Bible teaches us that that something greater that we need is God. And so the Holy Spirit makes us aware of that and he leads us hopefully to accept that truth and we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and we let him be Lord of our life and we trust him with our life and we obey him and we follow him and as we uh, continue on as that infant, we study his word, we read his word, we listen to sermons, we listen to uh, radio or TV programs and read other books to teach us uh, deeper about God. God and uh, Jesus Christ uh, is, is amazing and that's an understatement, but what I mean is the truths of the scripture, the truths of God are so simple, so basic that a child can understand them, that a child can realize that there is a God through and in the form of Jesus Christ who loves them and who wants to be their friend. But it is also as you mature as a Christian and you face trials in life and you face other situations as you grow to be an adult, the Bible and God has a great depth, an, uh, an unreachable depth, depth of truth and beauty that you can forever delve into deeper and deeper into the ways of God. It is not ever a valid statement to say, well, I've read it, I'm done. Everything we go through illuminates the scripture more as we face the various trials in life, as we face the challenges, as we face loss and tragedy in our lives or joy and beauty, we read the scripture again and the Holy Spirit can bring us even more knowledge, even more insight. And so it never ends the depth of God's holy word and the depth of his teaching to us. And so we want to continue on in that. We should want to continue on in that knowledge and it applies to everybody. Today we're going to look at the life of Paul. The Apostle Paul perhaps is the greatest Christian that ever lived. Very knowledgeable. He wrote uh, most of the books in the New Testament. 
He gives us great spiritual truths. He gives us great teachings about Jesus Christ, but that was not always so. Paul was raised in the Jewish faith. He studied under the great Jewish leaders of his day, Gamaliel being one that we are told his name, and he was reared and taught the ways of the Jewish faith, and he knew them inside and out. And he had such a zeal for his faith that he was given uh, a charge by the Jews in Jerusalem to seek out Christians and to try to get those Christians to renounce their faith in Jesus Christ, whom the Jews rejected, and even to the point of putting some to death if they refused. That is the, the chapter, Acts chapter 6. We have that where Stephen was stoned, and it says that Saul, whose name had not changed yet, was standing there giving agreement to the stoning of Stephen. That's what his life was. And he, he had this great knowledge, but yet in all of that, he never saw Jesus Christ. He never made that connection. His mind was set against Jesus. But then on that fateful road to Damascus, He's on his way there to find more Christians to persecute him and the light from heaven shines down on him, blinds him and reduces him to his knees and the voice comes to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul answers, well, who are you? He said, I am Jesus Christ, the Lord. And then Saul got up and he was taken to a room, he was taken to a house and God continues to speak to Ananias. And he says, Ananias, I want you to go talk to Paul. Tell him about Jesus Christ. And Ananias, understandably, is fearful. Wait a minute. This is a guy who breathes out threats against your people and puts them to death. And you want me to go see him, God? And God says, yes. And so Ananias goes. He proclaims the word of Jesus Christ. Paul becomes a Christian, this man perhaps the, one of the greatest minds of the Jewish faith, of the old scripture, he knew it inside out, has to start over with his faith, and he has to learn again about Jesus Christ and about what that walk means and has to turn from the ways he was doing. And we pick up with this walk in chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Follow along with me. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted, meaning all the people there, and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So here we see Paul who was preeminent in his field of, of Jewish knowledge, who was one leading, seeking out Christians. Now he is a student. He is in this, in this church here at Antioch. He is one of many. And the word comes to the church 
not Saul, not to Paul, to set him and Barnabas aside. I have work for them to do. And so we see in this progression of hearing that Paul is having to learn from those around him. He's having to gain instruction. He's having to gain leadership from people around him. And he, he is relying on the church. It is the church at this time there in Antioch who has heard from God and who has said to them, you've been called to do a ministry and we're going to set you aside. And then they, they fast and then they pray and they lay hands on them, which that laying of hands is where we get the concept of ordination. It is a conferring of a job, of a task, of a responsibility on them. And so Paul, in his becoming a Christian, in his start in ministry, is relying on the church to hear from God and to say to him, God has spoken, this is what you are to do. We go on to Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. And we, Paul has been in ministry for a while. He's been walking with God. He's been studying. He's been learning. He's been preaching. And we come to him in, an, in, in another stage in his life. In verse 6, a famous passage about Paul. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to do, to do so. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of the man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, you may have heard and you may be aware or may not, but this is the occasion of the gospel moving into Europe. Macedonia is part of that Grecian peninsula, part of Europe, and that is the introduction of the gospel to, to Europe. Paul wanted to continue in Asia Israel was an Asian country. It's considered uh, Western Asia, that whole area. And he wanted to continue his ministry there, but it says the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ prevented him from doing ministry there. God had a different call upon his life, had a different direction for him. And the church here is not the one to give Paul that instruction he is now responding to God's work in his life. He is one sensing that God is closing a door. He had this desire to serve. He wanted to serve God. He had a vision to serve God. And he was moving in a direction to do that. But God put up blocks in his way because that was not the work that God wanted him to do. It was a good work. It was a necessary work. The people of Asia needed to know Jesus Christ just like everybody else. So Paul was not wrong in his desire, 
but it was not where God wanted him to work. And so in this case, he is sensing the Holy Spirit's work in his lives and he's interpreting the events around him. And he, I'm, I'm sure Paul was very frustrated trying to serve God, trying to do what he knew God would have him to do in presenting the gospel. He's going, doing what he knows to do and, and he's being stopped. That's a very frustrating situation. But it was because God had a different specific mission for him. And God needed him to turn from going this direction to going this direction into the continent of Europe. And so in that night, Paul is there sleeping. And he sees this man from Macedonia come over to Macedonia and help us. Proclaim the gospel to us. We need to hear about Jesus Christ. And Paul was sensitive enough to know that was God telling him, don't go to Bithynia, go to Macedonia. Don't do this work, that work's going to be for someone else. I want you to go into Macedonia, into Europe, and proclaim the gospel. And it takes a sensitivity and a willingness on Paul's part. He could have been very stubborn-minded. No, Lord, I need to go to the people in Asia. My heart is for the people in Asia. That's where my people are. That's the kind of people I grew up with. I want them to come to know you. And he could have refused God's calling in his stubbornness, and it would have seemed like a good thing to do. And it was good to take that gospel, but it wasn't what God wanted. And so Paul submitted to the leadership of God, he responded to the call of God and he did as God said and he went into Macedonia to proclaim the gospel and that opened up. And as you continue reading in the book of Acts, it was a very powerful movement that occurred there in Macedonia. And that's where Corinth was and Corinth was a very pagan town. It's the town that had many gods, so many gods that they even put one up to the unknown God. And Paul addresses them and says, I want to tell you who this unknown God is. So Paul, if he had insisted on following his own desires, his own intellect, and had not listened to the Holy Spirit, who knows when the people in Macedonia and by extension Europe would have heard about Jesus Christ. And so we take from that, we see that Paul is progressing where initially the church hears the call upon him and ordains him and lays hands on him to go and start his ministry. Now the Holy Spirit is speaking to him directly and blocking him rather than saying at first just go here, he, he's blocking Paul from moving in the direction his heart was leading him to direct Paul to go to Macedonia. Many times in our life we're trying to serve God, we're wanting to serve Him, and yet we run into these roadblocks, we run into these frustrations, and we wonder, what's going on, God? I'm trying to serve you. And it can be that God is saying, but that's not the work I want you to do. And at that point, we should stop 
and ask God, reveal to me what is it you would have me to do. There is a study that I'm preparing to do with you at some point, uh, specifically on the spiritual gifts, but in the teaching of those gifts, and God's endowed each and every one of us with at least one spiritual gift that we are to use in ministry to others for Him, the author of the book says there is a minimum of weariness and a maximum of effectiveness when we work within the call and empowerment of God. There's a minimum of weariness. We all understand being weary. Weary is a little different than tired. We get tired when we work, when we exert. But then there's, there's a depth to weariness that just crushes our soul as we've tried and tried and we're not getting anywhere, we're not moving ahead, we're fearing, feeling frustrated. We all, I think, as adults especially, understand being weary as an exponential extension of being tired. Tiredness you get over, you rest a little bit, you eat a little bit, and you're ready to go the next day, but weary is that soul crushing. There's a minimum of weariness in serving God and a maximum of effectiveness. We all want to be effective, or I hope we all want to be effective in everything we do, but in our Christian life, that comes when we work, I'll say, under the auspices of God. In other words, we're working doing what He has called us to do, what He wants us to do. When we're going where God wants us to go, we have the promise that God is going to give us what we need to accomplish that task. We can set out to do some purpose, and it can be a good purpose, just like Paul wanting to go to Asia. But if it's our purpose... If we're the one who set that goal, if we're the one who's determined to do this, and God has no part of that, He has no obligation to enable us to do that function. But when God calls, when God says, go to Macedonia, when God says, go do this ministry, go do that, then he becomes in, it becomes incumbent upon Him to equip us to do that task. If He wants us to do something, if He's called us to do something, then He will provide what we need, whether it's finances, whether it's wisdom or knowledge, other people or strength to do. And so that's why it becomes important for us to hear God, for us to unite together in prayer to say, God, what would you have Campbellsburg Baptist Church do? Again, as, as mature Christians, as mature people, we know there are myriads of problems all around us. Myriads of people that need help. Myriads of different ministries we could be involved in. In fact, there are more than we could possibly ever do. And we could spin our wheels, we could expend a lot of money and effort and have very little success. So it becomes very important to us to pause and say, okay, God, what do you want us to do? We can't do it all. What would you have us to do? And in that, in listening to him, 
we can know that he's going to provide whatever is necessary to accomplish that task. And so it becomes so very important that we as a body of Christ meeting at this facility come together, uniting our hearts and minds and souls to say, Lord, we want to serve you. What do you want us to do? And as he tells us that, and as we have that unity, that confidence that God is saying, do this for me, that God's going to equip any power. If we go on just because we have a favorite whim that we like, because we think, well, this would be good, but it's not God-ordained, we then are having to do that under our own strength. And we can have some success, but we will not have the success that we could have when God has said, do this, go to this Macedonia, and we follow and obey him. So I hope that as we progress in serving God that we will do that. So we see this progression in Paul's life. Initially, he has a call to the church that is training him, equipping him, saying God is saying you need to go do this ministry. Now we see Paul has come to the place in his life that he can recognize when the Lord is hindering and guiding him to the work that he wants him to do. And he is sensitive to the fact he could have said that's just a dream. He could have said that's not from God. God's not speaking to me. I don't want to go do those Macedonians. They're a pagan evil bunch. He could have taken all kinds of attitudes but he didn't. Now let's move on to the last step in Paul's walk in Acts chapter 20, starting at verse 22. Paul is now nearing the end of, of his ministry, of his story. As we can look back and read, Paul didn't know. But in verse 22 of chapter 20, we read, Paul speaking, and now compelled by the Spirit. And you see that different language there? At first, it set aside Paul and Barnabas for this work to which I've called them. And then it's God hinders the work. Now Paul is saying, I am compelled. Com being compelled is being in a position where you really just can't resist God. It is such a strong calling that you cannot refuse Him. Compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now Paul's come to his time in his life, his walk with God, when he knows he must go to Jerusalem. In other words, in a way he must go back home. He must go back to those people that trained him in Judaism, to those people that under underwrote his, his 
uh, attempts to find Christians and who gave their assent to him torturing them and putting them to death, who now he has become their enemy because he has changed, he has become a Christian, he is now worshiping this person, Jesus Christ. And so he's now being compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem where all of his enemies await him. In the book of Acts and other sections, it tells us that his fellow believers tried to get him to not go. Don't go, Paul. You're going to be put to death. They'll capture you. They will torture you. But Paul says, I must go. The Holy Spirit has compelled me, and I hope and I'm willing to give up my life if it means that I can proclaim Jesus Christ to these Jewish leaders in this case. And again, as you continue on in the book of Acts, Paul gets that chance. He stands before Festus and King Agrippa, and he has a chance to worship uh, Jesus Christ and to proclaim Jesus Christ to these leaders. And then they, uh, in order to please the Jews, the King Agrippa orders that he be whipped and beaten and when they get ready to do that, he says, wait a minute, I'm a Roman citizen. Time out here. Because you didn't, you didn't whip Roman citizens. And the jailer, when he finds that out, he goes to his boss and says, what do you want me to do? He says he's a Roman citizen. They call Paul back in and says, you're a citizen? Yes, I'm a citizen. And so that meant they could not whip him. So what do they do? They send him to Rome. And he goes to Rome, and he is imprisoned there, but while he is imprisoned, he proclaims the gospel to the jailers, to all who would come and hear. So what seemed like a death sentence, and it ended up that way, opened the door for Paul to proclaim the gospel to people who needed to know Jesus Christ and who probably would have never heard him if he had just gone on his own, stayed in a house, and tried to proclaim. He wouldn't have talked to the officials there in the prison to the leaders there. So Paul now has changed from this place to where he's been instructed by the body of believers training him to do something. He's no longer just sensing the hindrances that God's moving him, directing him in the way. He now is so in tune with the Holy Spirit that he knows he must do this regardless of the danger, regardless of the cost, regardless of what it's going to do to him so that he can proclaim Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and so that he can complete the race, the task that God has called him to. And so we see this progression in Paul's life of his hearing God he starts out as a new young Christian. He gains some maturity and he can sense the Holy Spirit working. And now he clearly hears what God is saying and knows he must do that in spite of his Christian brothers and sisters saying, don't do that, Paul. And so we have this difference here where on one hand, the church is saying, you're to go do this. And now they're at the other extreme saying, no, Paul, don't do that. But Paul says, I must serve God. And so we see a progression in Paul's life 
of the depth of his faith in Jesus Christ, of his calling to ministry, and God using him to take the, the gospel to Europe through Macedonia and through Rome. And so that needs to be what happens in our life. As we walk with the Lord, as we grow in Him, we should see this progression. We should see that we go from the milk of, of salvation to the meat of righteousness and serving God. Our bodies should get stronger. We should start having spiritual children and grandchildren. We need to be drawing closer. We need to be to the place we hear God. When we start out, it's uh, by example, it's very appropriate that you would come to myself or someone else that you see as uh, having spiritual depth and wisdom and insight and saying, help me know what to do. And if we do that, we'll open the scripture and we'll see what God teaches and we'll try to find that direction for your life. And then as you grow in the Lord, you start sensing and knowing within yourself. You start hearing from God. Not necessarily a voice. When Paul was hindered at first, it wasn't a voice saying, No, God, don't go, or Paul, don't go to Bithynia. God wasn't saying, No, don't go to Myasia. He, he hindered him, and Paul had the sensitivity to recognize God's hand in his life to discern that wasn't what he was supposed to do. And it brought Paul to that place to where God could, using a dream, tell Paul, I want you to go here. And then at the end of our, my illustration here, Paul is so in tune with God, again, he doesn't really have to hear God. He just knows the Spirit is saying, do this, it's what I'm supposed to do. And that's the progression that needs to take place in every Christian's life if we're supposed to, going to have a maximum of effectiveness. And that is unique for each and every one of us. What God is calling you to do is not what he's calling your neighbor next to you to do. God works with you specifically, and he has a mission for you specifically. There may be a friend, a person, a family member that you have the opportunity to speak to, that you have an inroad to share with them that no one else here has. Only you can say. There are people out there, Sue and I have experienced this many times, I've been frustrated as a husband. Husbands, you may be able to relate. Wives, you may be able to relate. Sue and I are talking and I'm sharing some thoughts of mine and they kind of go in one ear and out the other. She doesn't deny them. She doesn't refute them. It's just okay. Then she'll go to a seminar or some other friend will say the exact same thing and, oh, the heavens have opened the gospel. Now, she's not denying me or refusing me or anything like that. It's just different people can say things and we'll be in tune with it. There are people you can talk to who will listen to you, perhaps through shared experience, perhaps through uh, uh, just a, a respect that would never listen to me. I see Lloyd sitting here, and I know Lloyd's a big fisherman. There's a story of a deacon 
and I'm, I'm running close. I'm glad we're not streaming. I got all time, all right? This pastor said, Bob, I want you to come go visiting with me. Oh, pastor, I don't know. Do, I don't know. I can't say. I don't talk to people about their faith. Look, I just need some company, Bob. Just go along with me. I'll do the talking. You don't have to do anything. Well, Bob was a big fisherman. They walk into this man's man cave, and on his walls, he's got all kinds of lures and rods and reels and mounted fish. He's obviously a big fisherman. Well, Bob and that guy they're visiting, they just start talking fishing. Well, where do you like to go? Uh, go to this lake or, and all these kind of things. I'm not a fisherman, so I don't know what they talked about. Lloyd would know. But they started sharing fishing, and then the pastor tells a story that he about fell out because the next thing Bob says is, you know, we got a bunch of other fishermen at church, and we have a great time worshiping. You all to come worship with us. You see, those two made a connection that the pastor didn't have. They both shared a love of fishing, and they could connect with each other, and that gave Bob then the inroad to say, we'd love for you to come worship with us. We have a bunch of other guys. And each one of us, that holds true here, maybe not in fishing, but in something that you can connect with somebody out there that they'll develop a relationship with you, they'll hear you, so that you can say, we'd love to have you worship with us. Or, you know, I met a person who answered my questions one day. I was lost, I was wondering what to do. And who was that? Well, it was Jesus Christ. He turned my life around. That's what we experience as we will walk hearing God learning deeper and deeper to hear him, to trust, and like Paul, being able to willing to say, what do you want me to do, Lord? I'll do it. What's most important to me is not my life, but fulfilling the task that you've called me to. What's most important, Lord, is finishing that race to where you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, even though it may cost me friends, even though it may cost me uh, whatever life I'm comfortable in, you're the most important. That is a process of growth. That is a movement. In closing, understand God's wanting to do this in your life. God's waiting on you. You say, I, I, I may not, I'm not hearing him. Trust me, He's talking. Trust me, He wants to say, but He needs us to kind of quieten down. He needs us to set aside what we think we have to do to listen to what He wants us to do. And as we find that, as we work in Him, there is a minimum of weariness and a maximum of effectiveness as we work in the gifts and calling of God. That's the progress of hearing, of walking with God deeper. And that's what I desire for each one of us here, that all of us would gradually grow and hear God more and more clearly
And as we do that, as a church body, we're going to have great unity in knowing this is what God would have us to do. This is where we need to put what, what resources we have and trusting that as we fulfill that purpose of God for this body of believers, that he's going to provide and equip and we will see his blessings just overflow. That's what he promises. That's what he teaches. That's what he'll do. Stand with me for prayer and we'll go into our song. Amazing grace, my chains are gone. Dear precious Father, I thank you so much. Thank you for everything, Lord. I thank you for your scripture. I thank you for the Apostle Paul. I thank you that we have a record of his life, that we can see how you grew him into this tremendous missionary. He didn't start out that way. He started out trying to turn people away from Christ, but you turned him around and you made him one of the greatest missionaries of that day, certainly, and perhaps ever. Father, we doubt ourselves. We don't think we have the ability, the strength, the knowledge, the wisdom, and we don't, Lord. But we do have the ability to say, wherever you lead, I'll go. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do to the best of my ability. Only go with me, Lord. Draw me close to you and lead the way. Thank you, Father, for Jesus Christ, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.